1: Hi, welcome to Aging Life, the show about all things aging. Today I'm talking with occupational therapist and certified driving rehab specialist, Jenny Nordine, about the topic of driving. Like many of the topics we discuss here on Aging Life Network, the topic of driving has many facets that could be explored on multiple shows and probably will be. In addition to the personal emotional toll the driving topic imposes on seniors and families, driving may become a national policy issue in the future, given given the demographics of the baby boomers. Today, one in six drivers are over age 65. As we know, that will continue to, um, those over age 65 will continue to increase 10,000 a day uh, for another nine years. Daily, 19 seniors are killed in car crashes, and nearly 800 are injured on a daily basis. Now, we can read things both that tell us how, um, you know, that tell us terrible things about seniors that are driving, and we can also read things about how seniors are the safest drivers on the road, Um, so... We're not going to spend a lot of time on that today. But for most adults, driving, we would all agree, represents independence and freedom. It's a pretty big deal. Losing that ability is significant and, in my opinion, should only occur if the safety of yourself, a loved one or others are at risk. So today we will be tackling this complicated topic. At the beginning, by talking about what variables in a person's life might interfere with a senior's ability to drive, we will also discuss ways to determine if driving is becoming or has become more dangerous and should be stopped by an individual. My guest, Jenny Nordine will talk about her organization, Driving to Independence, what their evaluation process involves, and some of the ways she and her team can actually assist drivers to overcome some of the problems seniors are experiencing when they are driving. Jenny, welcome, and thank you for joining us this morning on Aging Life.
2: Thanks, Nancy. I appreciate it.
1: Can I um, just tell listeners a little bit about you before we start? Sure. Um, With uh, 15 years of experience in acute care and rehabilitation work as an occupational therapist, um, Jenny Nordine had a strong desire to develop a driving program to provide the ultimate level of independence. This passion was developed into driving to independence in 2000. So, you've really been in this work uh, 35 years as an occupational therapist.
2: Exactly, yeah.
1: Jenny and her team serve clients throughout the Southwest to ensure each driver is safe and independent with this incredibly important activity. She, um, in her bio, recognizes the importance driving has in each of our lives and works to ensure each driver demonstrates the skills to be a safe driver. Thank you, Jenny, for the work you do and for what you're bringing to our listeners today. You're welcome. So let's, um, let's start by, I, I would like you to help give us a brief overview of what is needed to drive safely. What are those skills that we need in order to drive safely?
2: Yeah. So, you know, this, um, I would tell you that there's really three parts of driving. The first uh, area that that is sort of most obvious is the vehicle operation. You know, being able to smoothly accelerate and uh, brake the vehicle, uh, steer effectively and and accurately, um, operate all the secondary controls, turn signals, and, you know, climate control, and, and those sorts of things. Then the second area really is knowing and following all the rules of the road. Um, that uh, help us to stay within the law and interact with other traffic. And then the third area really is the um, level of defensive driving that each of us need to have as experienced drivers. So, you know, not necessarily rules of the road, but rather how we all operate out there on the road. So each of these three areas really need to function in cohesion together in order to produce a safe driver.
1: So obviously, there are um, things that begin to interfere with those three areas. Um, in my research around this, I was taking note of medical conditions in particular mm-hmm. that begin to interfere with some of the things you just discussed. Um, do you want to talk about those medical conditions and how they impact those, those sure. pieces?
2: You know, I would I would tell you that that we've got medical conditions and we've got just general aging as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the you know the the areas that we become concerned with as as certified driver rehab specialists are areas of cognition, um, you know, speed of processing information, um, speed of judgment, and the ability to immediately change a decision uh, that might have have seemed to be corrected at the time and needs to immediately. Change in order to make sure that someone is safe. Um, vision, of course, is the really the only area that the motor vehicle department actually tests. But somebody's decreased uh, visual acuity or decreased visual fields, being able to see things coming from the sides of, of their um, within their field of view. Um, also, contrast sensitivity can decrease with age um, or or medical conditions. And then you know we we start to get into Loss of sensation or weakness, um, uh, loss of joint mobility to be able to check blind spots or um, you know look through and scan throughout an environment to accurately and efficiently move your foot between the two pedals uh, to you know to operate the vehicle, but also to. Um, be able to immediately make a change in direction or speed as an evasive maneuver as well. So any r- medical condition really can affect this. And as we age, of course, we tend to have comorbidities, multiple things that begin to affect each of these areas. So, you know, maybe natural aging is decreasing visual acuity and, and visual fields. And then, uh, you know, we've got an old back injury. That begins to affect uh, sensation and strength in the lower extremities, or potentially TIAs that are affecting um, cognition and decision making. Or Parkinson's disease along with um, aging begins to you know, create the, the tremors and the weakness that, that we see typical with Parkinson's disease and how that now begins to affect one's ability to operate the vehicle. So all of these things in combination, let alone all you know any medicines that we might be taking and, and things like that, all of these things um, together can really begin to affect a very important activity of daily living, but also one that um, is so important to our safety.
1: Right, right. I think you've covered them all that I'm aware of very, very, um, very briefly. But yeah, and that's why I think a lot of seniors, um, the first thing, you know, that happens is they begin to realize they are not comfortable driving at night, Mm -hmm. Right. But that can also be an indicator that there's some things coming that may make them uncomfortable or should make them uncomfortable driving during the day. Right. Um, Yes. uh, In my particular family, there's a fair amount of arthritis in the neck and being able to just look over your shoulder before making a turn, if you know, before changing lanes when Mm -hmm. someone's in a blind spot. Exactly um, can make it difficult and so um, or medications as you said and for those with a dementia, you know I often um, you know in terms of uh, my work with people around their finances, I often caution them that a dementia diagnosis in a medical chart, even if it's mild and early, Um, can put uh, a person at risk for, you know, a lawsuit if they are involved in an accident um, and they seem at all confused at the the accident site. And so I encourage people to start adding, you know, million-dollar umbrella policies to insurances and things like that. So it may not be a bad thing in general to do when you've got an aging loved one, and you are beginning to feel some concern Mm -hmm. to uh, make sure they're properly insured. Um, And so family members, adult children, um, or even friends, we begin to see signs that our loved one is um, starting to have some trouble and, you know, A concern is beginning to be raised, particularly when you're driving with someone. If you see them drifting on the road or, um, you know, straddling the lanes. I have a friend that does that. It it drives me kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, she'll come to the stop sign, but she's in the middle of the road. What if somebody wants to turn? Could you please get on your side of the road? Um, And she laughs it off, but it's a concern of mine. Absolutely. Yeah um do you ask about those when you do your process are you seeking you know like anyone else that does an evaluation they often seek input from loved ones who you know what are you noticing is that the sort of stuff you ask about are the the signs
2: yeah, so we do, um, you know, I, I do try and meet briefly with a, a, a loved one to just get sort of their take on this situation. But I always preface that with the fact that the decision that I'm going to make throughout this process is based on the, the information that I'm gaining Absolutely. through our clinical and, and behind the wheel assessment. But I, you know, I may not see some of the things that that the uh, spouse, for instance, may be seeing at home or the adult child may be seeing at home. And so sometimes that information can simply corroborate the information that I'm getting from my clinical or on, you know, on-road assessment. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, then, um, if you don't mind, I want to talk about some of the signs just so that folks um, can be watchful. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly, um, you know, if your loved one's getting a lot of speeding tickets, Um, certainly if your loved one, you know, go out and inspect the car when you arrive at their home, walk around the car. If there's a lot of, um, dents, Mm -hmm. you know, other than normal scratches, broken, broken rear lights, whatever, um, look for that. Um, if you're with them and they appear more confused when they're in traffic, or they're braking or stopping abruptly without any reason, yep. um, accelerating without any reason, coasting to a near stop and amid moving traffic, um, pressing simultaneously on the brake and the accelerator. And you probably see these things in your, your evaluation, some of these. Increasing levels of anxiety, just being asked to be picked up rather than driving to a family event. Um, driving significantly slower, we do see that, than the posted speed limit. Um, Backing up after missing an exit or turn. Some of these are rather obvious. Difficulty reacting quickly um, or processing multiple stimuli. Mm -hmm. You know, we often hear um, families say that a physician has said, well, uh, you know, as long as they're only driving in familiar circumstances, between home and the grocery store, home and the post office. And which is fine until you know the the orange um, cones go up because there's road work and, mm-hmm. and suddenly different decisions have to be made. Um, again, you mentioned problems with back or neck flexibility, getting lost or disoriented. Failing to use turn signals or keeping signals on without changing lanes, straddling lanes, making sudden lane changes, ignoring stop signs. These are all pretty pretty obvious. But, um, you know, what happens is families see these things and they, they're not sure who to tell, what to do about it. Um, um, some go to a physician, some have never met mom or dad or sister's physician, uh, and they're not sure what to do, or they talk with the physician and they get the, well, as long as she's driving to familiar places mm-hmm. kind of response. You smiled when I <sighs> talked about that.
2: Yeah, you know, this is this is a common uh, response for for physicians, and and you know, it, how could you ever assess somebody's ability to drive during a, a typical office visit? And so, I think that that. It, you know from my perspective uh, driving to familiar locations only addresses the fact that they can re- remember the navigation piece of um, of their destination which is important but the the trick or the the complexity of driving is that that situation that route even if you drove the exact same route from home to the grocery store each day the the situation um, or the circumstances changes because not not every car is in the same spot. Not everybody's uh, reactions or, or maneuvers are the same. And so you may navigate yourself to the grocery store each time, but, you know, are they able to safely make a lane change or make a decision to be able to turn left or not straddle that, that lane line? So, you know, that it's, it's an incredibly limited direction and not really specific to the safety of, of driving you know i i would also comment that one of the things that that we find is uh, you know, you give examples of poor driving habits that one might observe in their loved one, which is absolutely true. But one of the things that, that we find is is that that in individuals that may be concerned and, and not really sure that they should be concerned about their own driving, they will suddenly start to offer that somebody else drive. Well, you go ahead and drive. I, I always have to drive. And so suddenly we realize that we really haven't seen Dad drive um, in the last couple of years, and so it's important for those adult children or, or spouses to actually get into the car if if they do have concerns, or of course seek seek outside help as well. But oftentimes that is a sign right there that they may be concerned about their ability to safely drive.
1: mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yes, and there may be in the family, as with every topic some who believe mom is fine driving and some who are extraordinarily concerned Mm -hmm. and then there's family members uh loved ones who may become concerned a little sooner than than they need to be sure um but um but that is something that a program like yours can be helpful with um Yeah, and I have, there are various ways. Um, Certainly, um, we're going to talk a little bit about how um, you all evaluate and what you're evaluating for and what that process looks like. I um, often, in my own simple world, um, will, you know, for many years use the mental status exam um, just as a baseline when I'm working with clients, we drop it in the file but on that particular exam, I especially uh, paid attention to the, um, to the trail test. Yes. The ability for people to sequence, um, you know, A1 to B2 to C3, um, I, I came to believe that that was an indicator for me that driving needed to be explored as an issue. Yeah,
2: I would agree. And and we use similar tests as well during our clinical assessment.
1: Okay. Yeah. And so um, that is something a physician could pay a little attention to. I think they often use the slums. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's pieces of that that that, that would be helpful as well. But um, anyway, we're going to return in a moment. We're going to take our first break. I'm here with Jenny Nordine from Driving to Independence. And um, she and I will come back and talk about some of the real world risks um, that um, define why a person should stop and um, some of them being obvious. And I want to hear more about um, her program and the process and about how this evaluation can assist loved ones, concerned loved ones and seniors. We'll be right back. Thanks. Thanks.
0: This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program.
1: Hi, welcome back. I'm here with Jenny Nordine from Driving to Independence. And during the break, we were talking about, or she was telling me about, um, a guide that's available that um, all of you might want to check out. Why don't you speak about it, Jenny?
2: Yeah, so the um, the American Geriatric Association publishes a guide called the the Clinician's Guide to Assessing the Older Driver, and this is a, a you know a document that can be easily found online. Um, it's easily searchable, um, and and it's quite lengthy. Uh, there's a ton of information, and it. it provides information uh, about the Motor Vehicle Department process and each state and things. But within the the guide, it gives checklists to sort of uh, self-assess as a senior. These could be signs that um, I need to be aware of my driving or potentially be assessed or, um, and, or what have you. And then there's also a checklist for a family member to consider about their loved one so it it easily goes through um, a variety of, of you know items that that could be significant so for instance I um, you know I, I get easy I'm, I'm fatigued after I drive well that's a sign of stress and, and you know that that uh, level of fatigue so you know maybe this is one of the things that um, we need to be addressing or you know one of the things on the checklist is um, my loved one uh, complains that that others honk at them. Well, typically we all drive and, and nobody honks, um, and so if somebody has honked at that individual, um, something pretty you know fairly significant has happened. So it, it gives just a little bit more insight into some of the more subtle concerns that one might um, need to be addressing.
1: Very good, and um, yes, and so I have already made a note to. Pull that checklist, and we will make it available on our uh, website, aginglifenetwork.com. So right. Thank you for that. Um, and so, I think we've already—I mean, obviously, real-world risks to the person, you know, um, you know, crashes. Um, I think people are more often, um, those over age 75, I read, are more often um, likely to die or be severely injured in a crash than those, you know, between 35 and 50, let's say. And um, and part of the reason is, you know, uh, we're more frail, We our bones are not as strong. And so, um, you know, having a crash when you're older, it, Poses a lot greater risk mm-hmm. to to um, those we care about. Also, I mentioned the financial piece. Um, we we are more at risk of um, being viewed as uh, being at fault mm-hmm. as an yeah. older driver, and that can be that can be a problem. And so, um, so it's important that we pay attention to this as one of the activities of daily living that can really cause a problem, but also um, is really important to seniors. And one of the things I like about your program, and um, you don't have to talk about it necessarily now, but I, um, I like the fact that you're not only evaluating whether or not the person is safe, but as an occupational therapist, you can suggest remedies Mm-hmm. To some of the problems that can assist someone to become more safe. Correct. and so that's that's a pretty unique feature. Um, so let's and what, before the end of the show, we'll talk about how to find programs like yours. but let's begin by you if you could just share with me what um such an evaluation looks like.
2: yeah. So an evaluation really is um, sort of what I would describe as two parts, although generally and and in our program done at at a single appointment. So the two parts really are a clinical assessment as well as an on-road assessment. So kind of going back to the assessment that a physician is able to uh, provide, that on-road assessment is what um, sort of stands out within any driver rehab program. So, the clinical assessment um, can encompass a wide variety of things depending on these different diagnoses that um, one might uh, present with. So, in general, a clinical assessment is going to include a a cognitive assessment, um, a vision assessment, potentially visual perception as well, and then sort of getting an idea of just what someone's general driving knowledge is. For instance, in our program, we have a fairly simple um, 10 road sign quiz that one takes. So being able to identify those road signs and, and what their definition or their purpose is. So we go through each of these um, different areas and depending on the results of, of any one assessment or task will you know potentially lead us to another exam if, if we need to delve a little bit deeper into that. So this clinical assessment's purpose in our program really is to identify potential concerns that we might need to be looking for out on the road. So we're gathering information during this clinical assessment. And an easy example of, of what, you know, one item that I might find in a clinical assessment is, is potentially a, an issue with depth perception. So during our, our clinical assessment and our vision exam, maybe I' identify this depth perception issue. Well, that is now going to be something that I specifically look for once we get out and and actually drive um, the the evaluation route. So we conclude the clinical assessment. We go right out into the vehicle. And each of our individuals are taken on a predetermined route. We drive them to a a neighborhood or a parking lot sort of just to give them a a few minutes to adjust to our evaluation vehicle. Um, It's nothing spectacular or different. It's just not their car. And so we give them a few minutes to adjust to um, to that vehicle. And then from there, we direct them through an evaluation route that has specific maneuvers or skills that one needs to be able to demonstrate. So in my example of depth perception, this is something that I'm going to begin to look at. Because, uh, you know, being very close to the car in front of you is a problem but it's also a problem if you're leaving five car links between you and the car in front of you at a a traffic light as well so i've gathered this information in my clinical assessment and i'm looking for those potential concerns out on the road so one goes through this this route um, hopefully successfully completes each of those maneuvers and then we come back to the office and sit in and provide a recommendation to that individual which really can go, in general, three different directions. Our hope uh, is always that things have gone well and um, there aren't any concerns. I mean, there's always something that we can all improve on in, with our driving. You know, maybe you need to make sure that you're using your turn signal uh, at every at every tri- turn. But you know, generally, this this has gone well. You're a safe driver. You've performed the maneuvers. You've made good decisions. Your judgment has been good, etc. That's always the hope. Um, but the fact of the matter is that some people are not safe to continue to drive. And, and that is also a, a difficult conversation to have, but also one that, that we're prepared to provide to them. So, again, we're going to uh, explain the clinical assessment and what we saw out on the road and how that manifests there and the safety concerns about one continuing to drive Um, in their own safety as well as as the rest of the the other, you know, road users, be it pedestrians or or other drivers. Um, And and we provide that information then, of course, to the doctor and, and the motor vehicle department. And then there's there is sort of a middle of, of the road, so to speak, um, that maybe we need to see if someone's skills are consistent. Um, you know, if if somebody has a morning appointment and has commented that that they're feeling you know just absolutely spectacular today, I want to make sure that that isn't unusual or or you know just sort of their stars have all aligned today. So we may fo- recommend a follow up appointment maybe later in the afternoon. And do a, a follow up behind the wheel assessment only. So that could be a, a recommendation that that we make during the you know at the at the conclusion of the assessment. There are options as far as adaptive equipment and things like that 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 potentially could be a, a recommendation as well. But for this population, that it doesn't tend to be the the general recommendation. Not not as common.
1: Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I. I know we all get shorter as we get older. There might be some simple, you know, <laughs> change the car seat um, right. distance. But, but yeah, so you see that more often in, in younger drivers who may have disabilities.
2: Correct. Yeah. I it's see. not completely any, uh, out of the question, but generally they tend to be the younger drivers.
1: Okay. Do you ever... Um, Uh, Find that someone's there at the urging of, you know, their son who, um, you know, mom may be developing a new problem, but she's not quite there or you're suggesting or you're saying, yes, you shouldn't drive at night, but um, or do things Mm -hmm. or do things in the morning or something like that.
2: Yeah, you know, I think that um, that oftentimes we make those those recommendations, although it's really hard to sort of police that and so the individual really needs to accept the fact that they should only be do- driving uh, during the day and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Generally that lack of, of nighttime driving is is often a self-restriction that, that people do. They just mm-hmm. realize that they're just not comfortable and they really don't have a purpose to be out after dark and things like that but also visual acuity. Um, each state will have a, a requirement that if your visual acuity is beyond this number you're not qualified to drive at night so if we are are beginning to see that in our clinical assessment that will be um, a recommendation that we make and and potentially recommend a follow-up with their eye professional to see if there's something that can be done as far as their their eyeglasses and and improving that visual acuity to be more comfortable driving at night
1: very good and so if you find, you, you briefly mentioned it, if you find that the person should not be driving or should stop driving, you notify both the physician and the state motor vehicles department. Is that sort of a standard that folks like yours
2: I believe so. Yeah, you know, it's it's important that that I don't just have that information, um, or you know, even the the children or the the individual have that information. It's you know the our assessment is done. Um, under the direction of a physician. So each of our assessments uh, require a a physician prescription. And that's really related to uh, the fact that I'm an occupational therapist and and we work under a physician direction. Um, But if the the individual, if the physician has a concern about this individual's ability to drive, we need to be able to have communication with the the physician to uh, provide that information. And then each state has what's called a medical review program. And and um, and there's you know, documentation that can be forwarded then uh, through the physician to the motor vehicle department with that recommendation to retire from driving if necessary, so that we know that that individual is not a not you know an ongoing licensed driver. Okay. Then we can take action through the the motor okay. vehicle department.
1: Um, does the family need to? obtain the physician's order? Are you able to reach out to physicians if a family approaches you?
2: yeah, generally that is um, attained through the, the family um, mainly because the physician and, and office staff will always respond to them um, a little bit better. they're familiar with that uh, that family or that individual. Um, if uh, if a physician is unsure as to why a prescription is needed, then we will reach out and, and sort of explain what what's going on and, and the fact that we want to make sure that they're medically stable to be driving and then also um, the fact that we're occupational therapists.
1: Correct. Good, good. Um, you are in three states. Do you have um, colleagues in other parts of the country? We I'm, do. Well, we should say you're in uh, New Mexico, Arizona, and... Nevada. Nevada. Where in Nevada
2: are you? Las Vegas.
1: We'll be right back. Thanks.
2: America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa,
0: play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need.
1: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
0: This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program.
1: My apologies to our live listeners. We had a little little internet glitch there, but hopefully it'll be fixed for our uh, podcast listeners. Um, so, as we we're in the last um, piece of the show, and I just want to talk some more about um, I think where we left off. We were discussing um, how people can connect with organizations like yours. Um, what if there is a result that says a person should stop driving? What your organization does? How you interact with physicians and the state? And um, and then for our listeners in other states, other than the three you offer your service in, how do they find other services like yours?
2: So, you know, hopefully physicians um, or uh, other therapists, if, if somebody is, has been in the hospital um, and, and are getting rehab or something like that, are familiar with their uh, local driver rehab programs. But if not, there is, um, we have a national organization called the Association for Driver Rehabilitation Specialists. Um, And they have a um, a locator um, within their website. So the website um, is actually... A is an apple, D is in dog, E is an everyone, and D is in dog, again, .net. So ADED.net um, provides a, a, a therapist locator or program locator. You can go um, onto the the website and enter your uh, state and, and find a list of, of local folks there. You're also welcome to call the executive office um, in uh, North Carolina, and they're able to, to help find a, a program uh, in your locality. So, either way, um, we're able to, to uh, find local folks for assessments.
1: Very, very good. I appreciate that. Um, so, let's, let's go over some of the, the more important points uh, we were talking about today. One is um, the medical cognitive conditions that impact a senior's ability to drive. It takes specific skills. To drive, um, you know, when you often hear, well, it takes a certain amount of strength, it's hard for people to imagine that. But in fact, uh, one can, if one is older and leading a very sedentary life, mm-hmm. um, loss of conditioning can impact Absolutely. something simple as that.
2: Exactly. Can impact. Yeah, we don't think of driving as a very um, physical task, but in the end it is. So you mentioned earlier, um, you know, some arthritis and things, even being able to just rotate the steering wheel fully um, can be affected by a rotator cuff injury um, or, you know, uh, upper extremity weakness, hand, um, you know, arthritis and, and things like that. So there, there is absolutely a physical component to driving.
1: And then we talked about uh, some of the signs that driving is becoming a problem and we don't need to go over those. You can you can locate some of those online or go to the American Geriatric Association and find the checklist. Go to aginglifenetwork.com and find the checklist that we're going to um, put up for you. Uh, you also, the third point, I think, is you don't have to address this problem alone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, doctors can't talk to us about a patient because of HIPAA, but we can talk to the doctor. Sure. So I often recommend if you're concerned and you're not part of attorney and your parent has not agreed for the doctor to talk with you, um, find out who the doctor's nurse is. Find out the fax number because they all still operate under faxes. Yeah. And, um, and write a note, share your concerns, write a note, send it to the nurse request that it gets in front of the doc or into the file. Um, There are, um, there are forms that a doctor can fill out even before, you know, if it's obvious, a doctor has the option of filling out a form and sending it to the state, or you can download the form from the state and send it with your little note and facts to the doctor, and if they're in agreement, they may simply just take care of it through their office. When that is not available, it sounds like you can ask for a medical order for an organization like yours, find that organization and make it. And, of course, people are going to want to know, is this covered under Medicare? Is it private pay? I'm missing it's private pay because it's not, quote, medically necessary.
2: And that is true. Under Medicare guidelines, um, uh, the you know driving assessment is not covered. You're absolutely right.
1: Okay. So, people should call and find out mm-hmm. that part as well. But you may be saving your parents' life. I talked to someone a couple of days ago, two days ago on Monday, and he said they had just taken the car keys, which is uh, another show, uh, the difficulty and the conversation when it's determined you really need to stop driving. And and this person said to me, he probably should have stopped 15 years ago, but none of us wanted to really deal with it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's probably a common occurrence because um, it is such a huge thing um, for people to be concerned about. You know, to take someone's driving, it's sort of like, well, it may even be bigger than asking someone to move out of their home of 50 years. Um, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a really big deal.
2: And that's part and of what we can help to to take that off the responsibility of the of the family members. You know, maintaining that intact family and those relationships is so very important. And so if we can be sort of this neutral third party, then sometimes that same information is a bit more well accepted by the therapist versus the adult children.
1: Yes, whenever I've had clients who are extremely upset and um they sometimes they just simply lack insight that it's a problem. I will send them to you because it's a concrete and very real um, place for them to, you know, state that there's not a problem and then have a concrete evaluation that outlines the problem. Very helpful.
2: Yeah, good. I'm glad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so I will say that I um, highly recommend folks consider a program like Driving to Independence. I want to thank Jenny for being on the show today and sharing some of her knowledge. I do also want to uh, make sure that you can learn more about Driving to Independence by visiting their website, which is simply www.drivingtoindependence.com. Um, I love that 20 years ago, 21 years ago, you, um, saw the need for this kind of service and work and came into the marketplace. I appreciate that. And so thanks for being here. Um, I, you can join me and my guests live each Wednesday, typically without problems with the internet. You can also, um, so I'm live here at, uh, VoiceAmerica.com on the Health and Wellness channel at 11 a.m. Mountain Time, each Wednesday. We're also on demand after the show at VoiceAmerica.com. And uh, you can follow us on your favorite podcast platform, which um, which is a favorite way for some people to listen if you find yourself faced with difficult decisions or are seeking resources, check out my website, aginglifenetwork.com, where you can schedule a time to talk with a life care management professional for answers, guidance, and support, as well as an enormous amount of information, including um, each of these episodes um, from our radio show. And hopefully, they will assist you in your journey uh, with your one or in your own agent journey. So, before we go, um, what's up for the future, Ms. Um, Jenny Nordine? Are you um, are you looking at other states? Are all the states covered? Mm-hmm. What are you thinking?
2: Yeah, you know we we've uh, recently opened up our office in Las Vegas, Nevada, and so you know there's always a need to uh, to identify new locations. I will tell you there, you know, as certified driver rehab specialists, we're more plentiful on the East Coast. You know, part of partly because of population, um, yeah. but it, yeah, we we continue to look to expand, uh, whether it's current uh, staff in each of our offices or opening new offices. So absolutely. Um, it's something that we um, always are looking for and, and making sure that each of us are are safe drivers out there. So who knows, we may end up in uh, Utah or, you know, the western slope of Colorado um, and things like that. So all over the southwest.
1: Oh, I'm sure Denver has a quite a population. thank you. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And in those large cities, there's always... Uh, room for additional programs, I would I would imagine. But um, what you're doing is a great service in the states you're in. And um, um, I think it's a service that a lot of, uh, um, you know, a lot of families don't know about and need to learn more about. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's great. Um, again, I want to um, shout out to my Sponsors and give you their websites uh, www.trulinkfinancial.com. I recommend you go there and look at, uh, in particular, their Trulink card, which is a prepaid debit card that allows you to have an online dashboard and easily fund and easily um, watch how uh, funds are being spent. We often use those prepaid debit cards with caregivers who are going to grocery stores. It uniquely allows you to turn off the ability to get cash in grocery stores and things that just are very, very um, convenient. So check out trulinkfinancial.com and decadesgroup.com, www.decadesgroup.com, private fiduciary service offering, power of attorney, um, court-appointed work. A state administration so check them out as well thank you again ms nordine i hope i'm saying your last name correctly and uh, good and um, i hope you all have a great week and stay safe out there particularly when you're driving and we'll see you next time at aging life take care
0: thank you for tuning in this week to aging life network please join host Nancy Oriola for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern time and 10 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness channel. We can't wait to talk again.